worry about that clock. I don't know, Brother Pat's the only tall preacher that I've seen here, you know, and this pulpit, I feel like I'm kind of reaching up. Well, my name is Gilbert Moore, for those that don't really know who I am, haven't met me yet. I was born in 1949, April 26th, in a little town of Simsport, Louisiana. Uh, my folks lived on a houseboat at that time. My, um, my daddy and my grandfather and my uncles were fishermen, commercial fishermen. And so I've got kind of a little bit in that common with the apostles. I don't know about any, anything else. <laughs> Four of them were fishermen for, that I know about for sure. My wife, Anna Ray here, <clears throat> she was born in... Gideon, Missouri, and it long story, but somehow she wound up in Louisiana, and we met, and we were married in April the 7th, which was like two days ago was our anniversary, in uh, 1973, and so you know all you need to know about me. Uh, is my glasses right there anywhere, Henry? I can almost see good enough without them, but not quite. <clears throat> I want to preach to you something today about something today that I think is so important. And you know, Brother Pettit told me I could have all the time I wanted, and, and I don't want to shortchange you, but I do want to limit my time as much as to knowing you've gone through already two sermons. But it's so important. Listen, if I didn't think something was important, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be up here. And so what I bring to you today is something I think is so important that I have to preach it and do the best I can. And so I'd sell you short if I didn't do it. And I'm so serious about it that I want, I want this message to sink into your hearts as deeply as possible. And the message I have for you today is loving the family of God. Because I don't think sometimes we know how important that is. And I don't think I have the ability to tell you how important it is. But you'll have an idea, I feel, when I'm finished. So would you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, and I'm reading 9 through 13. And I could have picked many, many passages to start on this. But I just gave that because I'm preaching through the book of Romans. And, uh, and I preached on this passage a few weeks ago. Romans chapter 12, <clears throat> verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Yes. Be kindly affection one to another. With brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation, con continue an instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. I'm going to stop there. And ask God's blessing because I feel like I desperately need it, as always. And so, would you bow with me and let us ask the blessings of the Lord. Father, would you be with us? 
Lord, we all need your, Lord, your direction in everything in our lives. But Lord, help us today to, to grasp something from what Paul is saying here that will benefit us. And Lord, be put into our lives as, Lord, something that you gave us, O Lord. The importance of this is so immense, O Lord, that I, I feel so inadequate, Lord. But would you please bless and give those that have come here this morning, this today, Lord. Lord, just an idea of how important this is. Press it upon our hearts, Lord, in Christ's name, amen. Well, as I look at this, I just remind you of the things that I can. The verses deal here primarily with the way that the saints of God think upon one another. Now, we're always taught to be, you know, to be kind, to be thoughtful, to be gentle, to be merciful, to have compassion on all men. But Paul speaks right here in verse 9, Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil. And speaking of these things, but verse 10 he says, Be kindly affectioned one to another, one another with brotherly love. Now, when he speaks here of brotherly love, he's not talking about the outsiders anymore. He's talking about brotherly love among the brethren, God's people. And so this is the household of faith, the children of God, fellow believers, who are to be particularly extended love and affection. And by the way, that's what God teaches. We love others, but there's something special to the saints of God. Spiritually speaking, this is our eternal family. That we have earthly families. But this eternal kinship should mean a lot to you because they will be our eternal family in heaven. Galatians 6.10 says this, We have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. And that's kind of casually spoken, but understood. Okay? Because he brings this up next. And especially, that's God's word especially unto them who are the household of faith. And so God says that. And how special is that? Well, I hope to be able to show something that this morning. Romans 12, uh, 12.10 says, Be kindly affectioned one another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. Brother love, God's people, emphasize once more. The Christian brotherhood and the love of the saints toward one another is one of the greatest proofs to the outside world that we're God's people. Now, that's not something I made up. That's something that the Bible says. Let me just give you a little re-emphasizing to that. John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus said to his disciples, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, but he adds something else to it. You know, you can say love one another. That sounds sort of generic. But then he says, as I have loved you. And brother, that opens up a world of truth that when we get into it's un- unbelievable. It's just unheard of. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this, by this, shall all men know. We're not talking about just inside the church itself. He said, everyone will know this, that you're my disciples by, one, by something in particular, by the love you have for one another, if you love one another. 
And so, how important is this? Well, we talk about witnessing all the time, don't we? we you know, we mention this. But it's amazing how, if you don't love one another, and this is not shown to the world, you think they're going to believe you're really a disciples of the Lord? It cancels, it, it's like cancels out all the good that you do. If you don't want your evil to be, your good to be evil spoken of, then let bitterness instead of love be shown in the church toward each other. And it'll just about destroy everything you do that's good. And so, to me, it's, it's an important thing to bring up again and again about how important brother love is. And you'll see how important it is of someone like the Apostle John. And he's writing from the Isle of Patmos in his last days. The, you know, the epistles of John, 1 John. And almost the entire first, I mean, almost the entire book of 1 John is dedicated to loving one another. It said so much, it just over and over and over again, he reemphasizes that in that, in that book. And so loving one another, the saints of God, is as natural in the spiritual realm as loving our family in the natural realm. Loving them, caring for them. And as we said earlier, someone said, we weep with them that weep. We rejoice with them that rejoice. When they do good, we feel good. When they do bad, we feel bad. They're part of our lives. And it ought to be that way. Loving one another is one of the wonderful expression of the love of God toward us. In fact, not only is it natural for us to want to love one another, but it's absolutely necessary to be to demonstrate our love for the Lord. To not love the brothers is not to love Christ. Not to love Christ who died for them. If you did not love the children of God, let me just say it just as plain as I can say it. If you do not love the children of God, you are not a child of God. No, no way to get around it. I can't cut it any closer than that. That's it. First John. Let's go to First John and take a look at some of these things I've been talking about now. And I can't, this thing's slanted too much. First John and um, chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, says this. And John says almost the same thing Jesus said. He said, again, a new commandment, right unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. <clears throat> Amazing, he says this. But let me read you verse 7. He said this, brethren, I write no new commandment. <laughs> <clears throat> unto you. But an old commandment, which you had from the beginning, the old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. But he says, and again, I write a new commandment. Well, I think maybe I'll see a little bit of what he's saying, and I'll say that in just a second when I read this over to you. Uh, I think what he's saying is something like this, that it's a remembrance it's, it's an old commandment. It's like, it's so, it should be so refreshing. It becomes something like a new commandment because I'm reemphasizing it in a way which you should see it in almost a new way. And I think Peter gave me a little insight into what this might mean. In 2 Peter 1 verse 12, he says, Wherefore, and he's speaking about other things. He's not speaking about this particular thing. But he says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent 
to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. And so, when you bring something for somebody and preach a sermon on something like this, you must preach it like it's something they've never heard before. And they must hear it in a different way. They must make it a, such an important thing in their lives. It's like looking at something that's refreshing, new, needful. It must be put into practice instantly <coughs> in our lives as though we're hearing it for the first time. And the newness and joy of it is there. So continue this passage in verse uh, 9. He that saith he is in the light, uh, you have the light of God. The glory of God and the light of the Lord Jesus, faces of the Lord Jesus Christ, has shined in your heart to give the knowledge of the glory of God. I love that passage. And I love what it says about what that's what salvation is. That's when you're saved. It's when God shines a light in your heart and opens it up and gives you the glory of God. And the, the light that's there is Christ alone. What a blessed revelation when you see salvation is in Christ. And he says, He that, he that saith he's in the light, he next says, And hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. You don't have that light. It's not there. So he says, you say you have light and you hate your brother. No, you're not in, you're not in light at all. You're in darkness. He that loveth his, his brother abideth in the light. If you love your brothers, you know you have light. And there's none occasion of stumbling. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness. And walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth. <coughs> because... That darkness hath blinded his eyes. And these are harsh words. It shows only those who love brethren, the brethren, are walking in the light. If you are not walking in the light, you're not a child of God. <clears throat> Christ loved the children of God so much that he gave his life for them. He suffered for them. He even took upon himself human flesh. And felt the same hunger, the same thirst, the same pains, the same sicknesses we suffer, yet without sin. And how it must offend him that those he did so much for, I mean, he did everything for them, and we treat them so badly. Listen, I don't mean to be, there's a way I can bring it down to maybe our level. You know, People love these animals so much, they don't want to even kick in their dog. And this is the Lord Jesus who died for a people. And we kick them around. Yes. And we mistreat them. Yes. Or we don't have the love we ought to have for them. It's shameful. It's disgusting. And I can imagine how he looks upon it. Whenever people don't even like their dogs kicked around, thank the Almighty God of glory yes. that set His eternal love on everyone that's a Christian sees his children mistreating each other and not having a love in their hearts for them and being hostile and mean and unkind. How he must feel. These are the people I died for. These are my children. And you say you're a child of mine and you're treating what I love that badly? It's disgusting in his sight. I can't put it 
I, I just wish I could put it in a better way, but this is what the scriptures is showing us. It's just that bad. It's just that bad. In fact, the Lord equates doing something evil to one of his children as if he had done it to him. It's just that plain. Now, 1 John 4, 7 through 12. 1 John 4, you can just slip over a page there. And uh, 7 through 12 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. <coughs> and this was manifest the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son to the world, <coughs> that we might live through Him. Here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. What a blessed truth. I mean, it's so simple. I mean, it's not complicated. If he loved us that much, then why should we not love those he loved as much as he loves them? No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. And brothers, I just want this to be the something we leave here today. And we think of in our hearts of how we ought to love our brothers and how we ought to show it. Not be something that's hid. Not be something that no one can see. Brother, we're commanded to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works. And not to be hid. Not for boasting. What's the purpose? And glorify our Father which is in heaven. That's, that's, That's what we do. Everything we do is for that purpose anyway. And that's what, we, that's what we want to do, glorify Him. Now I want you to just remember something if you can. I want you to remember that when John wrote these words, he was in exile. He didn't have fellowship. And he's looking back, I get to picture this old man of God. In fact, I think I've read where it says he must have been probably around 90 years old about this time. He's looking back. And he can remember the Mount of Transfiguration. Whatever him and Peter and I don't remember the other, maybe James, I don't remember who the other one was, that saw this and were brought into the, you know, the unique fellowship of Christ. He was there whenever Peter stepped out of the boat and walked on water for a minute and looked around at the storm around him, became afraid and started to sink. Cried out, Lord, help me. He was there whenever the, the 5,000 were fed from just a little boy's lunch of just a, just one lunch of fish and bread, loaves, fed the whole crowd. He was there when all these things took place, when Jesus healed the sick, gave the blind eyes to see, gave men with deaf ears to hear. He saw these things. He heard the teachings, and they shared these moments. They talked among each other. And they spent time together. He was there whenever the church was first started in Jerusalem. He saw the Russian mighty wind. He saw all these things that were done. And the fellowship that he had with these brothers in Christ. And now he's on Patmos. He looks back over there. He remembers the young, fiery apostles. 
He remembers his brother. They were called the sons of thunder. And there were so many things he could look over and said, Oh, oh, those days. Oh, those wonderful days. Oh, the fellowship we had. And now I'm in exile. I'm an old man. I'm beginning to know what it looks like, what it feels like to be an old man. We're not what we once were in strength, but our memories are still there. We remember when, when things were better, you know, as far as our health is concerned, and our ability to move and get around is concerned. And remember the fellowship and the friendship of those that were there. Many of them passed on. We look back with sorrow. We don't have that fellowship we once had. And neither did poor John. <clears throat> Loneliness is a particular suffering that we little think about until we're separated from those that we love so much and we share so much together with. We get just a little taste of it sometimes whenever we're quarantined by this COVID thing. You know, you got you can't get out and people started, stopped having church services for a while. And we get, but it's just a little taste. Get older, they put you in a nursing home many times. And it's a lonely feeling to be in a place like that. I visited my two aunts this past week that were in a nursing home. We spent a, maybe a couple hours with them. And they were so happy to see somebody. And I thought, Lord, I neglect this too much. <coughs> to think of how much joy it gives them. And one of my aunts is just shouting praise to God the whole time we're there. I'm real blessed by it. She's a blessing to us. We, we get more of it than she does, I believe. And here we just get like a tinge of this thing, but it shows you the duty of saints and how important it is to meet with each other. You know, that's why we ought to have a midweek service. So the saints can get together and meet. I think it's a necessity for us. What a blessing it is to see us meeting together. Even on, how, Why would somebody want to miss the service of God on a midweek service? It's when it's so important. They do everything else. But it seems like to do something like come to the house of God is a tedious chore for some folk. I never could understand that. Here we pray, we sing, we express our joys, our sorrows, our successes, our failures, our needs. All these things. There should be a longing to be with people that care for you that much, that we share so much with, and we have so much in common with. <clears throat> there will be a longing to be with the saints of God. I know, uh, I know how David felt when he says, you know, I was glad when he said to me, let's go into the house of the Lord. How happy are you whenever it comes time for the services? Listen, I, I'm afraid sometimes when it comes time to preach a sermon but when I get up here, I feel, oh Lord, just to share the things of God is such a joy. If they feel half what I feel, sometimes how, how thrilling that is. How much I enjoy it. And I hope and pray that you see the importance in, of the things of God. And that this word of God that's preached to you, that it's not something that you just listen to and fall asleep. I'll be glad when it's over. No, you're into it. You want, you want to just, not just say amen, you just almost want to say, brother, I feel the same way you do about that. And how glad I am for you bringing up these things of God. <coughs> I feel like, you know, just shouting hallelujah many times. I guess I'm too bashful. But glory to God, glory to God. 
I mean, some of the things I've heard even here, right here at this meeting was just such a joy to my heart. Who would not want to share this with the saints of God? And who else wants to hear it but the saints of God? We have so much in common, so much joy in the things of God. And I look up and I see old faces that I hadn't seen in a long time when I come to a place like this. Uh, they're still walking with God. They're, they're still in the house of God. <clears throat> and what a blessing that is to me. And how glad I am to see them. And I feel like they're glad to see me, even though <clears throat> I'm not exactly sure. I just <laughs> but I have a great hope. They... <clears throat> but it's important to be with each other. That ought to be a long in our heart to meet with the saints of God, to share our faith. Thank you, brother. I never drink water when I preach. I'm just going to do it because he brought it. <laughs> I won't do like David poured out on the ground. <clears throat> but what a blessing it is to be with the saints of God. You know, you might ask yourself, well, let me just read a passage to you. Uh, I said a while ago that, that the Lord counts what you do to, to the saints of God is what you do to Him. And we have a... a uh, you know, a, a real proof text for that in the book of Matthew, <clears throat> chapter 25. Matthew 25. <clears throat> I'm just going to read a few verses there to you. Verses 34 through 45. Matthew 25, 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick? Or in prison, and came unto thee, and the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Surely I am saying this to you. Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Wow. He says, You did that for me. You did it for one of mine. I count it as though you did it for me. On the other hand, then shall he also say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed. <coughs> What's the charge? I mean, he said more than just the curse, didn't he? And everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was and hungered, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in, naked and ye clothed me not, sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we then hungered, or thirst, or stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? <clears throat> then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, in his, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these ye did it not to me. And what happens to them? And these shall go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. 
I'll ask you a question. Have you done anything this day for Christ? You probably think, oh, gee, gee, I don't know. You know? Well, let me ask it in another way. Have you done anything for a Christian brother or sister this day? Have you spoken to them? Have you prayed for them? You know, you think you can't do anything. You can do much. Have you comforted them in any way? Have you sought out their needs? Have you visited maybe one of them? Have you shared something with them? And I could go on and on. Do you have a, a relationship with them where you can say to them, Hey, brother, you know, come have a meal with us tonight. You know, the early Christian church, they did that. They broke bread. They don't mean they went out there and started tearing up a bunch of loaves of bread. When they break bread, it means they ate with each other. What a blessed thing that is. There's something glorious about meeting with God's people and having a meal with them. That's our favorite sport in Louisiana is eating. <laughs> Cooking. No matter what the conversation starts, I told somebody this week, it always ends up talking about food. And they may t- start talking about uh, the, how bad the country is at first, but they just passing that over quick as they can so they can get to the gumbo talk. <laughs> <coughs> That's, the way. That's the way most people are. They talk about what they like to do. There ought not be anything God's people love more than meeting with each other. Sharing things with each other. Tell them about the love they have for the Lord and the wonderful things that God has done for them. What a blessing that is to share Christ with someone else. If you've not done anything for a child of God, you've not done anything for Christ. Simple as that. And that's John's point. What what we do for our Christian brothers and sisters, reflects on the penalty, uh, reflects upon this principle that God counts it as being done for Christ Himself. That's how important it is for Christians to love one another, <clears throat> not just in word, but in actions, deeds, which prove it. Me and my wife used to laugh our heads off at a at a commercial that had an old rat on it. And this this woman said to this rat, she looked at him and she says, I hate you. And that rat looks up there and says, Prove it. <laughs> of course it was a it was a, a pest control commercial. <laughs> and they want you to prove it by buying their, their product. But listen, if we love God's people, prove it. That's what the Lord is saying too. You know, what we believe is what we do. It's not just something, faith without works is what? Everybody knows that. So if we know that, then why don't we prove it? Okay? Prove it. Show that you love God's people. Don't be, don't be holdbacks that just say, I wish he, he's so poor, he needs so much. I wish he would get something. That's a that's that's the worst testimony you could have. You know he has need, and you don't do something yourself about it. You know one of the things that impressed me most about Job and his testimony that he gives in the book of Job was all the things he did for other people. Yeah. He was like he'd hear the widows cry, 
the orphans he took care of. If anybody had needs, he was the man that took up for them. It was such a blessing to see all, and I don't remember all the things he did, but there's a whole list of things that he did to show his love for other people and the compassion he had. Faith reveals itself in actions and not in words. And, for, you know, in First John, we read verse 12, uh, 4 verse 12, No man seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. And his, work, and his love is perfected in us, means completed in us, by the actions that we show in our love for one another. <coughs> First John 4, <coughs> 20 and 21, also says this, <coughs> It says, if men say I love God and hateth his brother, it says he's a liar. Plain and simple. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? It says that again. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Goes on to verse 5. Uh Whoso believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone <clears throat> that loveth him that begatteth loveth him also that is begat, begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. And so I've read verse after verse about this. It seems like John can't get enough of saying this. <clears throat> And one thing I'm, I'm almost completely assured of is that these admissions of John will either bless us when we put this love of God into practice or they will one day hone us yes. if we don't because it will become a curse to us. Yes. And it would be nothing, not only gloom and doom, but it may become the unpardonable sin in your life if you never repent of that, never turn to the Lord. It will prove to, that you never were a true believer. First John 1, 3, 18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. <clears throat> How about it? While you're still alive in this flesh, and God grants you the opportunity by allowing you another day upon this earth, reconcile yourself <clears throat> to whatever believer you might be having a difference with, or harboring even hatred against. Will you turn against this commandment of God and pretend that you're justified in your rejection and animosity toward another brother? <clears throat> I've seen churches that people carried such long, old, just animosity toward people. You know, grudges that lingered for years. What a horrible thing. You lose fellowship with God and risk losing your eternal soul because you can't get over it. You can't forget about it. <clears throat> if a man say I love God and hates his brother, he's not telling the truth. And this commandment have him from him that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. So don't let another day pass without reconciling yourself to your Christian brother. Get it right today. And also the Lord mentions that about even Take, taking the Lord's Supper. It to, you know, don't go to the Lord's table and har- harbor hatred or animosity toward a brother. Right. Get it right. 
<coughs> be free and know how God will bless us when we do those things. Now, Paul adds something else in the place. It comes out of Romans chapter 12, where I was reading before. <clears throat> and I just, I'm going to try to bring this to a close <clears throat> as quickly as possible, but I can't leave this out under any circumstances, this part, because it's what means more to me in the message than <clears throat> anything else. He's saying in Romans 12, and you know, as I'm reading this, he's saying, be ye kind of affection one to another, brother love. And I'm not skipping over this on purpose on fast, but I want to get you down to this because he says in verse 11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, <coughs> patient tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. It sounds like he got off the subject. All of a sudden he's talking about other things. But then... Verse 13, he's, he rushes right back in it. Distributed the necessity of slaves. Given the hospitality. And I thought for a minute, Paul, did you get off the subject on purpose? And then I saw there's something amazingly brilliant in what he's saying. He's combining love to everything else we do in the Christian life. And it's the way we overcome our, you know, our shortcomings. It's the way we, we blossom and bloom. It's the way we mature in our love and, our, and all the things that we have in the Lord. Think about it. <clears throat> he starts listing these other things. Distributing the necessity of saints, giving the hospitality. To what purpose is this, Paul? What Paul is saying, I believe, and setting forth for us is not easy sometimes to overcome these things. We have to humble ourselves sometimes and go to someone that we really don't yet feel right toward and try to make it right. And God will bless that. God will bless that. But God don't want us to do it in a in a in a like a an uncheerful way. You know the Lord loves a cheerful giver, but he loves a cheerful, obedient servant in everything. I think nothing gives God more honor than when we cheerfully Obey His commandments. Yes. Lord, I want to follow You. Lord, Your commandments are righteous and holy. They're just. They're right. And what does the word righteous even mean? It means doing what is right. You don't have to go through a big, long definition. It means doing what is right at all times. Following the Lord. You do what you know is right. And you're on the right track. And so... What Paul is saying is exactly the way we fight everything we do in the spiritual realm. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. But what? Against principalities. We wrestle against what we know is to be true and we won't do it. Our wrestling match is not with other, it's mainly with our own selves most of the time. It's knowing you need to get this right, but how are you going to get it right? Well, I'm going to get it by all these spiritual things God has given me. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, you know, the shield of faith, the sword of the word. Everything God gives us is for this spiritual wrestling we do. Well, how do we get it right? Well, we, we do just that. <coughs> the way we wrestle everything else. <coughs> not with flesh and blood. Not against flesh and blood. And not with the carnal weapons either. Our weapons are spiritual. In nature. So how do we do these things? Well, I think Paul is given a good definition of that right here. When he says, you know, not slothful, 
fervent in spirit, rejoicing in hope, continuing instant in prayer, distributing necessity to the saints, giving hospitality. What is he saying? <clears throat> what is he saying? He's saying just this. He's saying that everything that you have presented here, that we have shown here, is um, not slothful. Uh, you know, fervent in spirit, hope, talking about hope, it talks about necessity of saints, it talks about all these things. Well, this is sort of like a problem before us, there's, there's something to be sought for, but he tells how to seek for it. How? And how do you do it? Well, he, that's, these are action words. Look at Look at each one. And faith is action. By faith, Noah built an ark. He did something. By faith, Moses threw away everything in Egypt. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy the junk of Egypt for a season. A short season at that. The people of God, when they see the things of God, they look at it as something, man, this is to be desired far above anything else. Seek it first the kingdom of God. But... Faith is doing something. Faith is not sitting there. You want to be saved, you come to the Lord, you come. There's no hesitancy. There's, no, there's nothing to, to, to think about. It's the, if the Lord has shown you the pearl of great price, you'll sell everything for it. Nothing is more important than God and being a Christian, being a child of God. And it's the same thing in this, in this what we're looking at here today, that every duty has an action trait attached to it. Okay? And so, how are we to do this thing? Well, first, love this to be without dissimulation. That means without hypocrisy. It has to be real. And so, we have, have to have a love for the brother. And how do we do it? Same way. <clears throat> being kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In our preferring one another to love. You know, all these things. Then it says, what it says, not slothful in business. Not lazy. Do it. Don't be lazy concerning even brotherly love or anything else we do for the Lord. Pursue it with zeal. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I've come to the conclusion in my life that probably the main reason my prayers is sometimes not not answers. Maybe I don't have enough fervency. Maybe I'm not righteous enough. Because there is something here attached to this prayer of Elijah. He was the, it was the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous... Everything I read in that thing seems to be wrestling. It means I'm going after it, right? Does it seem like that to you? That I need to attack this thing that's... Whatever it is. Maybe it's the condition of our country right now. And the ungodliness we see here. I even prayed for Hillary, brother. You know, that's hard to do. Not an easy thing. For salvation. And the ugliest person you can think of in the, in the natural realm, if you can see that about face and then turn to God, to turn into someone who loves and adores God and loves the children of God, do you understand what a change that would be? You think it's impossible for God to save Hillary Clinton? I pray for her. I pray for all these people. 
Who knows what God will do? I'd love to be able to say, praise God! You know, what a blessing it would be to see these people converted. No one's above the power of God. Pray for your enemies that despitefully use you and all these things. But I'm talking about the people of God. Especially pray for, and pray how? Fervently. Uh, and I love the way he says this. You know, he's distributing to the necessity. You know, Satan has a, a necessity. Distribute. That's something actually. You should do that. Give it to him. Do it for him. Them that curse you, bless them. What an amazing thing. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. Weep with them that weep all these things. You do something. You show your zeal for the Lord and your love for the Lord by an action. By an action. You love them that He loves. You do good unto them that He has set His love upon. In every walk of life, these are the things the Lord refers to in Paul when He says, Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loves us. How do we conquer it? By putting our faith into action. Yes. Putting your faith, doing something about the situation. You're not somebody that looks at it and says, Well, what a horrible thing it is to happen to somebody. He don't have anything to eat tonight. Man, that sure is bad. No, you run up there and say, what do you need? Is there anything I can do for you, brother? Just name it. I'll do my best. How more important, how much more that means to him. And the world sees that. You know, one of the things that impressed me, you know that it's right there where Jesus wept. It's like shortest, what is it, John eleven thirty five? 35, I believe it is. Shortest verse in the Bible. And but, but what effect did that have on weep with them at weep? He's weeping with those. And what effect did it have on those unbelieving Jews? Behold how he loved him. Yes. Hey, it, 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 isn't that what we're looking for? What an example our Lord was. What an example we ought to be. I want somebody to see this in me and say, that, that's, that's what Christians do, you know, that they love each other. Look, look at him. Who else loves him? Who else would love like that? You want to be the example. So believers... Conquer this in your lives. Be a conqueror. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That's what I want to be. I want to be able to say like Paul, what brother was talking about this morning. End of his life, you know, he's get. I'm getting old. And I know I don't know I don't know how much time I have left. But I want to be able to say like Paul, you know, I fought a good fight. I won. You know, I kept the faith. To the end. I want to be remembered. I want that legacy, brother, you just talk about. What legacy is? He endured to the end. He fought a good fight. You know, he kept the faith. And Paul said, "Has laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord shall give me at that day, and not to just me, but to every one of you that love is appearing. That be the same thing. My brothers, my fellow believers, that I love and cherish. And how we all rejoice when we see each other, when we meet with each other, and when we see that these also are just like me. They serve the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and they're His servants. And that's why I love them and should love them so much. May God bless. I hope and pray.
that the, I spent too much time, brother? I know you're being kind, but God bless. <laughs>